This is the most important verse. Uh, well, it's the underlying verse of Romans. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For the gospel is the righteousness of God, in the gospel rather, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. Excuse me, I'm trying to get my iPad to behave. Just as it is written, the, the righteous will live by faith. So in the first week in our series in Romans, I talked about the overview of what the whole book of Romans is all about. And I broke out what the different chapters represent. I will say this, my goal in teaching Romans, I know some people would say, and I would be in the midst of that, that teaching Romans in four weeks is impossible. Yes, you can't teach Romans in four weeks. But I can whet your appetite to make you want to read. I can maybe bring to attention the things that I feel like will be good. I can't do everything of Romans and do Romans justice in four weeks, and I'm not trying to do some exegesis of every verse and every chapter, what I'm wanting to do is bring out what I feel like is the overarching theme of what is in the book of Romans. And really what I talked about there in the first eight chapters, Paul's really laying out really that salvation is available to everybody. It's not just to the Jew, it's to all people, amen? And then Paul says, well, what advantage is there then being a Jew? And we talked about that. We talked about, well, actually, God's gifts are irrevocable. And God has not forgiven, forgotten the, the, the people of Israel. And there will be a great, another turning of the Lord, of the Jewish nation back to the Lord. But Gentiles around the world will hear the gospel. And then we talked a lot about, well, if God is such a loving God, why would he send people to hell? Well, God is a loving God, and God is a holy God. And he didn't want anyone to go to hell, but he's a holy God. So he became the answer for our sin problem. And Mark Hopkins did a great job last week talking about sin. I thought that was fantastic. Yeah. And so, but the point is God is angry at sin and God is holy and God is just and God is righteous. And so God is not angry at you. He's angry at sin. But the Roman says, all have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not a one. So God pours all that anger out on Jesus. That's how a loving God we serve, that he literally poured his wrath out on Jesus at the cross so you and I can be forgiven of our sins. Have you got that? And so those first eight chapters, Paul goes to great length to explain a lot of that. I want to just talk about chapter eight for a moment. I want to pull out a few verses and I want to zero in on just three, what I would consider big thoughts in Romans. Are you ready for this? Say, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, here we go. So first thing I want to do, I want to focus on Romans chapter eight, verse one. It says, therefore, and everything... Before that, is, this is the now practical application. Paul is going to explain, explain practically the outworking of everything he said in these first seven chapters. And he goes, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ, 
Jesus, the Lord, through Christ Jesus, the Lord of the Spirit who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. There is now no condemnation. Isn't that good news? There is now no condemnation. So God will never condemn you of your sin. Listen to it again. All have sinned and all, that's past tense, and all have fallen short. That's present tense. Have you got that? But the Bible says, now look, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are free from the law of sin. Have you got it? But let me make this very clear. We are not free from sin. We're still going to struggle with that. We are free from the law of sin because Christ put an end to all of that when the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. You ever heard some preacher say that God is judging a city or a nation because some tornado, some earthquake, and God is angry at that nation or that city because of its immorality? You ever heard that? I remember I was in New Zealand, someone prophesied that God was going to send, I think it was an earthquake, and the epicenter was going to be in Auckland, New Zealand at this date and this time. And I happened to be in the main street of Auckland, New Zealand at that date and that time. And there were Christian radio asking me, Steve, would you come and can we interview you as to what you think about judging this prophecy? I said, I can judge that prophecy in Romans. God poured his wrath out on Jesus at the cross. It's done. God, he did. There is no, con- I can tell you now, I can judge that. The Bible says we should judge prophecy. We don't just believe it because someone says, thus saith the Lord. And I know theologically that if God is still pouring his anger out on nations and judging nations because of people's sin, then I know Jesus' sacrifice was not sufficient. And therefore, he, Jesus, who is not worthy of taking on the sins of the world. So it's either one or the other. Amen? And don't get me wrong, there will come a reckoning, there will be a second coming, there will be a final judgment. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying, but we live in a day and an age and a dispensation of grace. Amen? And I do think, however, sin, I don't think God judges nations like he did in the Old Testament, but I do think that there is a judgment and the consequence of our sin. Amen? Like if you keep on drinking and getting drunk all the time, there will be a consequence that will manifest in your liver. There will be something, there will be a price to pay. Are you hearing me? I mean, people say, if I smoke, will I still go to heaven? Of course you will. You'll just get there quicker than the rest of us. (laughs) And I'm not saying smoking's a sin, by the way. Praise the Lord. So we are... There is no condemnation. Let me show you what James says about it. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. You ever heard someone say that? For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted. By the way, temptation is not a sin. I want to make that very clear. Temptation is not a sin. But look, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, watch this, 
it brings forth the sin. It conceives and gives birth to sin. And then sin, watch this, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. You say, well, wait a minute. You just said there is no condemnation. We are free from the law of sin, but we are still not yet free from the temptation to sin. 1 Corinthians 10 puts it this way. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to men. So if you think, man, I'm really struggling, no, the people only knew, the Bible says there's no temptation, that it's just common. We're all gonna get tempted, amen, okay? And it hasn't overtaken you except that which is common to man. Watch, but God is faithful, who will, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, I love this, will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So when you're tempted, the Bible says that God provides a way of escape. Amen? Are you catching this? I'm, I'm going somewhere. You'll catch it in just a moment here. So the Bible says this. For instance, in, in, uh, in Ephesians 6, it says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against all the fiery darts of the enemy. I'm always afraid of saying that backwards. The fiery darts of the enemy. Sometimes I have said that backwards and said the diary farts, but no, I'm saying it right today. It says, put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against all the wiles of the devil. And then it says, having done all to stand, stand. Here's what I know the Bible tells me. When I'm facing the enemy and I'm actually doing warfare with the devil, I'm to stand. I'm, I'm to stare him down. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Amen? I'm the stand. Okay, you got that? But in 2 Timothy 2 verse 22, the Bible says, flee youthful lust. So the Bible says to me, when it's the devil and I'm facing him down, I'm standing and I'm fighting. But when there's temptation and it's lust, the Bible says, run, forest, run. So I'm standing to the devil, but I'm running from temptation. I want to tell you, there is no temptation that is common to man. We've all been tempted. We're all going to go through challenges. But I want to tell you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We stand against the enemy and we run and God will always provide a way of escape. Matter of fact, look what the Bible says in Revelation 12. It says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven. It says, now, come, um, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of his Messiah for the accuser, that's the devil, of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before God day and night has hurled insults down. What I do know about the enemy is he will accuse you. He is an accuser of the brethren. You can't expect to get anything from God. You're not even saved. You're not really full of the Holy Spirit. You're not really a Christian. Nobody likes you in that church. You're a loser. That's what the devil does every day. And he'll say to you, go ahead, do it, do it. 
and you're tempted, go ahead, do it, do it. There's nothing wrong with it. And as soon as you do it, guess what he does? He turns on you. See, look at you. You call yourself a Christian. The very voice that told you it was okay to do it is now condemning you. I want to tell you, how do I know God? How do I know the enemy? God will never condemn me of my sin. Never. It was all put on Jesus at the cross. The Bible says that God takes our sin and listen to it. He throws it as far as the east is to the west. Those lines are infinitely going the other direction from each other. They will never meet up with you again. God will never remind you of a sin that is under the blood of Jesus. He takes it and he throws it as far as the east is. No, the east was east that way. East is where am I? There's Great Nick Road. That's east. Praise the Lord. As the east, it says he takes your sin and he drops it into a sea of forgetfulness. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are not under the law of sin any longer. Come on, somebody. Matter of fact, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 1, come now, let us settle this matter. I love that translation. It says, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as the snow. Though they are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I'm a great believer in the doctrine of the new creation. Everything in my past, in my family, in generations, alcohol, gambling, the moment I gave my life to Jesus, I'm a new creator, creation. Amen? That is no longer, my, I had to deal with parents that grew up with those demons on their back, but I found Christ, and I want to tell you, I thought I'd meet my wife in a bar. I thought I'd just repeat my life as to what my father did, but the day I gave my life to Jesus, everything changed. I'm no longer under the curse of alcoholism. I'm no longer under the curse of gambling. I'm no longer under the curse of all the challenges that happened and the Kelly name before me. Everything is new. Can you say Amen. I want to encourage you, no matter what's in your past and what's in your family background, what's in your bloodline, the moment you give your life to Jesus, you are setting the generations beyond you to be blessed. Any man being Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is gone. If we confess our sin, the Bible says, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I want you to hear it. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The enemy will condemn you. The enemy will say to you, there is no hope. There's no way forward. There's no way out. God will always provide a way of escape. Can you say amen? And it's no longer in trying to please God with our sacrifice. God doesn't want the sacrifice. He wants our obedience, which is the bookends of Romans. Remember, it starts with obedience and it ends with obedience. Can you say amen? Second thing I want to talk to you about in Romans 8 is the Holy Spirit's help. And the Holy Spirit is our helper. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are 
the children of God. Some people claim to be the children of God, but how do we know who are the children of God? When you are led by the Spirit. I, I think about that because sometimes I hear people say, well, um, you know, uh, how do I know God's will for my life? In the Old Testament, Gideon fleeced God. God said, do this, and, 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 and I want you to go and fight the Midianites. And Gideon went, well, God, how do I know this is really you? And so I'm going to ask you in the morning when I wake up, let the fleece on the ground be wet, but the ground be dry. And then he thought, well, that could have been a coincidence. You ever thought that you'd do these deals with God? And so, okay, tomorrow morning, God, let the ground be dry and the fleece wet or the other way around. And so God accommodated Gideon. But in the New Testament, we don't fleece God. We are the sons and the daughters of God, and we are led by the Spirit. We don't pray for circumstances to find the will of God. We are led by the Spirit of God. Lord, if you want me to do this, let this happen. I want to tell you, you try and fleece God in the New Testament, I think God be careful the enemy doesn't fleece you. Because I actually think true sonship is no what it is to be led by the Spirit of God. Let me show you what it looks like. Colossians 3, verse 15. It says, let the peace of God, it says, uh, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. That word rule literally in the Greek means be the umpire or the referee. So the umpire is going to be, the peace of God is the umpire that rules your heart. How do I know God's will for my life? We are led by the Spirit. We are not circumstance-driven. We are not putting out fleeces to God any longer. The Holy Spirit leads us, and it will be led by the peace of God, and it will rule in your heart. It will be the empire. The whole goal of an empire, of an umpire is you only hear from a referee if, number one, you're on the field. And you're playing the game. If you're on the sidelines, there is no referee doing any shots for you. He's not interested in anyone except who's on the field. That's what an umpire does. He's not going, excuse me, you're in the wrong seat. Could you please move over? That's an usher's job. Are you hearing me? The umpire is only focusing. Now, the umpire's goal in a game is to not interfere with the game, but let the game play. Amen. And as long as you play by the rules, you don't hear from the umpire. But if you break a rule, Amen. there'll be a flag. And play will stop. And there'll be a correction because the umpire blew the whistle. And now you've got to make a correction. Does that make sense? Offside. In soccer, which is one of the most frustrating sports in the world, in my opinion. How you can still have 0-0 zero, zero at the end of 80 minutes or 90 minutes and then go to a stupid penalty kick out just drives me insane. It is one of, but sometimes referees can determine the outcomes of games, but not this referee. You see, you'll never know God's will for your life unless you're on the field unless you're playing. You, I live my life, listen to this, this might sound arrogant and I don't want it to be, but I live my life thinking and believing I'm in God's will and I'm making decisions every day as what I know and understand God's will to be for my life. 
I'm not going, I don't know what's God's will for my life. I need to pray more. I need to pray more. I need to seek God. God, I'm looking for a fleas. God, I'm looking for a, God, let this happen. Let that happen. No, I'm led by the Spirit. So I make decisions every day about life, and I've got to make hundreds of decisions every week. You've got no idea, as do you. And I'm led by this. I'm not praying about each and everything I've got to do. The peace of God is the umpire in my heart. So I live my life on the field, playing the game, thinking and believing I'm in God's will. But if I do something that is contrary to the will of God, I'll lose my peace. The referee speaking. And now I can make a course direction based on the peace of God. That, my friend, I believe is how we are led by the Spirit of God. Does that help anybody? The Bible says, Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I love what it says in Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Did it ever occur to you that the Holy Spirit might lead you to a desert? And the Holy Spirit might lead you to a desert, and you're thinking, I can't be here on the will of God. And it might be the very leading and the prompting of the Holy Spirit that got you right into a desert, and then all of a sudden, you face your enemy. And the Holy Spirit, come on, come here. You're going to meet your enemy, and you're going to take him down, and you're going to defeat him. And the Holy Spirit will lead you to a place, and you're thinking, where, where can, how can this be God's will? I'm in a desert. But God wants you in that moment to know that you are, he is with you, and greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And you will come out of the desert full of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. But I love what the Holy Spirit does because the Holy Spirit helps us. He leads us. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit helps our weaknesses. We don't know how to praise we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes, watch this, for us through word, wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because watch, the Spirit catches intercedes for God's people in accordance to the will of God. So we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Holy Spirit intercedes through us with moanings and groanings, with words that cannot be uttered. But when we pray in that heavenly prayer language, with moanings and groanings and words that can't be uttered, then the Holy Spirit is interceding through us, listen to this, the perfect, the pleasing will of God. The Holy Spirit will help you. That's what Romans chapter 8 is teaching us, that the Holy Spirit is the paraclete. He's the one that stands in a court and defends you and pleads your case before the throne of heaven. Come on, God. We got to help this guy out. Lord, this is what he needs. Lord, he needs a breakthrough. But it's not words of English. It's in that moaning and groaning. The Holy Spirit intercedes through you. I remember I was watching football. My brother, Dennis, he wasn't a Christian. I've told this story many, many times, but it's worth repeating in this illustration. And I'm looking at my brother, and Dennis is altogether perfect. He's annoying, actually. 
He's, he's like, he's just perfect. He is. He crosses T's, dots I's, saves his money, buys cars, brand new car, cash. Um, he's disciplined. He's diligent. He's mature. He's reliable. He's the oldest born. Not me. I'm the opposite of all that. And so I'm looking at Dennis and I used to say, Dennis, you need to give your life to Jesus. And Dennis goes, yeah, Steve, you're jacked up. You need all the help you can get. There's no doubt in my mind that Christianity is good for you. I don't need what you're talking about. And I used to look at him and go, I can see why he says that. Like when you look at his life and you look at mine, I go, I understand that. But the Holy Spirit said, look at Dennis. Look at him how I see him. Stop seeing him as he tells you to see him. Stop seeing him as you tell yourself to see him. And stop seeing him based on him just making what seems to be good values, good choices, discipline. Because there's no one righteous. No, not a one. All have sinned. Your best works are not enough to earn salvation. And so I went, oh God, Dennis is going to hell. He needs Jesus. But I never saw him like that. And for the first time in my life, I went, oh, God. And God used to love to get me to pray for my family. And I used to pray hard, and I still do pray, but they're, they're Christians now. And so I used to get in my bedroom and pray for them. And Dennis used to love to come in and laugh at me. What are you doing? I said, I'm praying for you, Dennis. He goes, it's a waste of time. Pray for somebody else. And so I remember I went down to the Holy Spirit said, go down and pray for Dennis. I'll never forget it. I went down to the shed. I didn't want Dennis to catch me praying. So I went down to the shed in the backyard, and I knelt on the great Australian altar, the barbecue. And I got on there, and I just, honestly, I just started going. I just started going, God, I pray for Dennis. Lord, I pray for, and now listen to the scripture. The Holy Spirit will pray through you. God, I pray for Dennis. God, I, I pray for him. Jesus, he needs you. I need you. He needs you. The world needs you. There's none righteous. No, not a one. Our best works is filthy rags. Though our sins be as scarlet, though they be as red as crimson, the blood of Jesus washes us all whiter than the snow. His dirt's a little cleaner than my dirt, but we've all got dirt. Help him, God. And I just began to cry. And I just started moaning and groaning. And the Holy Spirit started interceding through me. I've never had this before. I've had it many times since. I had it just recently. Two weeks ago, I was praying for my good friend, Brian Houston. And I got out of my porch and I said, God, this is wrong. I felt the Holy Spirit pray through me a prayer. Lord, that man deserves justice. He's been going on with persecution now for 20 plus years with an accusation and a court case pending. And the outcome of his whole life is in the balance over something I know he's innocent of. And I said, God, and I was on my back porch, and I'm telling you, I'm going, come on, God! He's a good man. He needs this. He's, he needs to be vindicated. He needs to be cleared. We're all humans. We've all got flaws. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But on this, God, come on! And I found myself praying on the Holy Spirit and moaning and groaning on my back porch, and then I sent Brian a text. I prayed for you this morning, and I'm praying that you get cleared of all charges, knowing the judge is making a decision just this last week. And as I sent the text to Brian, another pastor from Virginia Beach texts me and says, the Lord just told me 
that whatever it was you were just praying about right now, he has heard it and he's answered it and he will do what you pray. So I didn't want to tell Brian that, but I told his son. Just want to let you know what just happened. And of course, the court case, the judge made the decision. Brian was free of all accusations. The judge said, Brian did the exact opposite of what the prosecution were accusing him of. It's an amazing outcome, and I praise God for it. You see, my friends, the Holy Spirit will help you. And with my brother Dennis, I started going, Dennis, Dennis, and I'm crying to God, Dennis, Dennis, and I'm seeing him lost, bound for hell, a Christless eternity. And for the first time ever, I felt the Holy Spirit pray through me words that never have come out of my mouth before and moaning and groaning, Dennis, and you guessed it. Dennis thought his little brother has really hurt himself and comes running down to see what's wrong. And there I am on the altar weeping. Dennis, I am sobbing. Dennis. And he opens the door and goes, what? And I look up at him and I just know God's laughing because God set this whole thing up. And I'm, uh, <laughs> hi, I'm just praying for you. He goes, I thought you ripped your foot off on the lawnmower. You were, what? I said, I was praying for you, Dennis. When are you going to get saved? When are you going to stop? When are you going to realize you need Jesus just as much as I do? He looked at me. He said, you make me sick. And just walked away. And I just went, well, God, what was the point of that? Well done, God. Once more, I'm embarrassed. Wasn't long after that, I didn't know my brother had a pretty bad drug addiction. His friends were so addicted to the cocaine and the heroin that they were taking that the only place in the, in the whole body left where there wasn't a vein that had collapsed was injecting needles straight into their eyeballs to get the hit. And my brother didn't want that to happen. He had a major shaking problem. I didn't know any of this. And he said, I'm going to kill myself. I can't thaw it. Can't bear the thought of ending up like them. Drove his car 100 mile an hour straight at the tree. He was going to end his life when all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit reminded Dennis of his brother in the shed on his knees. Dennis! And he hears me praying. And he pulls the car over and reads my father and says, hey, Dad, I was just about to take my life. I want to give my life to Jesus. Before I take it, I'm going to give it to Jesus. That's how Dennis became a Christian. Sometimes we don't know how to pray. I couldn't think, what could I do to help Dennis? And it was just the Holy Spirit praying through us. Can I tell you, the Holy Spirit will help you in your marriage. The Holy Spirit will help you with your children. The Holy Spirit will help you with your job. We don't know how to pray as we should. But if we'll learn to let the Spirit pray through us, he will pray with you and through you and intercede. He is the paraclete. Somebody give the Lord a hand. My time's up. Let, let me just close with this last thought in Romans 8. Verse 35. Who? Everybody say who. Everybody say who. Who shall separate? Not what. Watch this. Look at this. Who 
shall separate us. We say who? Shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Shall trouble, hardship. Now look, who? Trouble's not a who. Trouble's a what? Did you hear me? He's asking the question, who shall separate us? And he goes, shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger of the sword? They're all what's. He's not asking what will separate us. I mean, maybe trouble could separate us, but it can't. He's asking who? See, the only thing that can separate you from the love of God, the only who is you. Look what he goes on and he says. He goes, shall trouble, shall hardship, persecution or famine, nakedness, danger, as it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered, considered sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angel, nor demon, nor things of the present, nor of the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all the creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. My friends, that's what Paul is wanting to bring home to you and I, that he is with you and nothing and no one can separate you from the love of God because he Paul his wrath out on his son. God turned his anger at sin and put sin on the body of Christ and rose him from the dead. He, he who knew no sin became sin so that we might live. Though he was rich, he became poor so we through his poverty might become rich. Come on, somebody. Somebody needs to thank God. I actually think the only person that can separate you from the love of God is you. You can walk into that door of salvation. And I do think, and this is controversial for some, and I'm not trying to make a, a theological statement. I'm really not. And I think you can walk out of it. I think you can make conscious premeditated decisions. I think you can talk yourself into a healing. I think you can talk yourself out of it. I do. But we need to understand the gospel. There's nothing we can do to earn his grace. God poured his wrath out on Jesus at the cross. And how many believe that sacrifice was sufficient?